Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curd, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals and because my shepherds did not search for my flock but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on the day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pastor them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing lands. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleep and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. The second reading is from Luke chapter 19 and verse 1. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, 
Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Keep your Bibles open as we uh, come to uh, reflect on this part of God's Word. Will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning. Father, we ask that you would give us insight and understanding. We ask that you would move our hearts, that we would reflect your heart for those who are lost. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's great to, uh, to be here with you. Um, I was uh, reflecting last Sunday as we uh, stood in church and, and sang freely without masks. I was thinking, how great is it to be able to sing? And I was remembering back to uh, the time not that long ago where we couldn't sing, where we were wearing masks in church and, and said as, as much um, you know, after that uh, in church last Sunday. Well, here we are once again with masks. But as Brendan said, I'm thankful for those who are making uh, difficult decisions to try to manage things and very thankful that it's just a short-term short-term thing for this morning. Well, we're continuing our, our series looking at uh, God's grace. We've, uh, over recent weeks, we've been looking at four aspects of living in God's grace. Whoops, there we are, there's a bit of a giveaway. I was going to test you. Can you, what, uh, if you can tell me the, uh, uh, those who are paying attention maybe have grabbed it. What, what are the four things that we've looked at, four aspects of living in God's grace? Can anyone remember any of them? Growing, yes. Praying, Rejoicing, nearly there. Resting, excellent. So resting, rejoicing, growing and praying. Four, uh, four aspects of, of what it means to live in God's grace. And, and the idea is that God's grace anchors us. That it's, it's our foundation. That, that we stand in relationship with God because of God's grace. Uh, it defines, if you like, who we are as disciples of Jesus. So we're living in God's grace as disciples of Jesus. But grace also shapes what we do. That is, we're trying to, to, to capture something of, of the idea that we, we live out God's grace, that there's an, there's an outworking, that we respond to God's grace as we give ourselves wholeheartedly to live and to, for Jesus, to follow Him and to help others to come to know and trust Jesus too. There's this outworking of grace as we engage as disciples of Jesus, as we engage in the, God's mission of making disciples of Jesus. Now, for some time, we've, um, we've, we've captured this idea of making disciples uh, with four S's. And uh, so I'm going to test you again. Can anyone, can you, those who've been around for a while, you might have heard of the four S's. What are, what are our four S's? Anyone remember one of them? Seek. Serve. Share. And strengthen. Excellent. You guys are all over this, which is, is great. Um, we seek <coughs> the lost. We share the gospel and our lives, we strengthen by God's Word and we serve others in love. Now, if you've been around for a while, you'd be, you'd be familiar with the four S's, but this is something that's good for us to keep coming back to, to, to think about, to reassess how we're going at this, because there can be a difference between knowing something and, and actually living it and, and seeing that working out in our lives. These, what, what are really vital aspects of living as disciples of Jesus. And so today, what, uh, what I want to do 
is focus on and unpack what it means to do this first one, to seek the lost. And to think about why this is actually so important as we, as we live out God's grace that's been shown to us in Jesus. And so we're starting with the, uh, the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Uh, this is a great story. It's a favourite um, story for, for children's storybooks. You know, we've got uh, little, little Zacchaeus up the tree and it's a great uh, story for, for kids' talks and uh, for kids' church. You know, we could have had an, a, a reenactment this morning of the story of Zacchaeus as the, you know, the little guy wants to see Jesus and he can't see over the crowd so he climbs a tree and Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to your place and, and the religious leaders tut-tut frown upon, you know, why is Jesus hanging out with, with this guy and, and then he, he radically changes his life and he gives to the poor. It's a great story. And uh, people can use this story in lots of different ways to draw different uh, lessons from it. So some might say that, well, Jesus is interested in short people. And so if you're vertically challenged, then take heart, Jesus is interested in, in you. Uh, or maybe people say that, no, Jesus is interested in people who are excluded in society. So you know, we presume that Zacchaeus was excluded because he was a tax collector, which means he'd sold out to the Romans and so people didn't like him and so he didn't fit in. And well, if you don't fit in, well, take heart, Jesus is uh, interested in people like you. or Other people might use it as an example of faith in action. They focus on Jesus, uh, sorry, on Zacchaeus's response and how he accepts Jesus and then takes action to change things. He gives away half of his, his uh, money to the poor. He repays people that he's wrong, wronged, he's, so he writes the wrongs that he's committed and, and we could draw moral lessons about how we should respond in faith. And, well, maybe the point is to teach, teach us of Jesus' uh, concern for justice and for the poor and, and I'm sure some people have taken it that way. There's, there's different applications that people take from the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, but they're not the applications I'm interested in and in fact I don't think they're the applications that Luke intended as he recorded this, um, this account in his gospel. Because what's interesting is, is what it says at the, the end. Have a look there in verse 9. Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What puzzles me there is that... Abraham is, is mentioned. Why is, why is he mentioned and what's he got to do with Zacchaeus being saved? See, that's, that's the reason that's given. That is, Jesus didn't save Zacchaeus because he was short. He didn't save him because he was a, a social outcast. He, he didn't save him because he wanted to feed the poor. It says he, salvation came to this house because this man is the son of Abraham. Now, that seems a bit strange. That kind of puzzles us. It, well, it means we need to take a step back and understand the bigger picture of the storyline of the Bible. Because to say that Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham is to say that he is he's an Israelite. He is one of God's chosen people, Israel. And, and Abraham was the, the great father of the nation of Israel. Uh, you might know that that started all the way back in, in Genesis 12, where God made a promise to Abraham that he would give him many descendants that he would give him a land of his own and that he would bring blessing to him and in, indeed to the world through him. Blessing to a world that is lost. A world that, that is turned away from God. And so that, that promise to Abraham and its fulfillment, that forms the, the storyline of the Bible. As God is on this, this mission to seek and to save 
his people, to bring blessing to his people, people who were lost. Uh, we see a picture of this, this mission uh, in that uh, first Bible reading from Ezekiel 34, where God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel and said that, that he will come and be like a shepherd to his people, to his lost and, and scattered sheep. Listen again to Ezekiel 34 verse 5. It says there, God says, I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. So God has, has a heart for people who are lost. He seeks them out. He, he saves them. We see that throughout the Scriptures. And, and this is in, indeed how Jesus explains His mission. As He said to Zacchaeus, in verse 10 of Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus came to, to seek out people like Zacchaeus. What makes Zacchaeus lost? We're not told much about Zacchaeus. We're told he was wealthy. We're told he's a chief tax collector. Uh, he was regarded as a, a sinner. We can deduce from his response that, uh, well, his wealth may not have been gained entirely honestly. He had some wrongs that needed righting. That is he, is, he is guilty, guilty before God. He is lost at a distance from God, needing to be saved and, and brought back into relationship, gathered as a lost sheep, if you like, back to the shepherd. And that's what Jesus came to do. He, he came into the world to seek and to save the lost. Uh, John 3.17, that, that, uh, the verse after that most famous verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. The next verse says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. God, the, the creator of this world, loves the people of this world. This world that has, has turned its back on him. Such that he sent his son on a mission to save the world. And so Jesus was, was sent to seek and save people who were lost. And he hung out with people who many would have said were lost. People whose reputations often went before them as being sinners and tax collectors and Jesus was was known for this and was criticized for this for example back a, a few chapters in Luke uh, 15 we read now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered this man welcomes sinners and eats with them notice Jesus hung out with people who were were lost and the respectable religious folk criticized him for that i wonder if jesus walked amongst us today whether the same thing would happen and so what did jesus do in response to this criticism well he he taught the people he taught them of god's heart for the lost he, he told them three stories uh, firstly the story of the lost sheep in the story, the, the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes after this one lost sheep and until he finds it and then he throws a party and celebrates because he's found his lost sheep and Jesus draws the, the lesson and, and says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven 
over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. In the second story, the story of the lost coin, a woman searches her house to find her, her one lost coin and when she finds it, she celebrates with her friends and Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God celebrates and rejoices over the, the lost one who's found. And the third story, the story of the lost son, or perhaps better titled the story of the two sons, and many of you would know this story, it's Luke 15, you can read it, but the, this man who, his son, a father, takes his father's inheritance, he basically says, I wish you were dead, and takes half of his, his father's um, money, and goes off to a distant land, he squanders it on prostitutes and wild living, and he finds himself at the, the bottom of the heap, feeding pigs, which for a Jew is as bad as it gets, and he, he finally wakes up to himself, and he goes home hoping that his father would, would at least maybe have him back as one of the servants of the household. But instead, when he comes home to his father, he experiences the extravagant, abundant grace and compassion. His father welcomes him in and celebrates, verse 23, he says, let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. It's a, it's a wonderful picture of, of the compassion and grace of God the Father who seeks and saves the lost. People like, like you and me, left to ourselves, we're lost. Ephesians 2 verse 12 puts it like this. This is what we were like before we knew Christ. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. Without God means to be without hope, to be lost. I wonder if we see it this, this clearly. I wonder if maybe we can tend to, to think of those without God not so much as lost but as, well, just a bit distracted. Maybe just having other priorities and other values. Uh, lives just kind of a little bit out of alignment. Not, as, not lost, just not as good as they could be. Is that how we see things? It, it's certainly more politically correct to see things that way than to say that if you don't know God, then, then you're lost. But political correctness aside, the Bible teaches us that without Christ, we and the people of the world around us are without hope, facing the just condemnation of God for our rejection of Him. The Bible puts it plainly and, and starkly that the next verse in John 3, after those verses read before, John 3, 18 says, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of of God's one and only Son. We must see it this clearly, that, that we stand condemned if we refuse to believe in the name of Jesus. The, the people of this world stand condemned if they refuse to believe in the name of Jesus. Your neighbour, your friend, your family member, the stranger you pass in the street stands condemned if they refuse to believe in the name of Jesus. 
We must see it this clearly. And we must see that, praise God, Jesus has come to rescue people, to seek us out, to, to save us. Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to improve people's lives. He didn't come to inspire people to better living. He didn't come to instruct people in, in how to be successful in life. He, he came to save people, to save them from being eternally condemned. Jesus, his name means God rescues, God saves. He's on a mission to save. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And, and every time a person turns back to God and accepts Jesus as Savior and follows him, there's rejoicing in heaven. As God our Father throws a party and welcomes us home, God has a big heart for the lost. He's, he's seeking and saving the lost. Now, I don't know where, where each and every one of you stands before God. And so my first question to you this morning is this. Have you come home? Have you come home to God your Father or are you still lost? Without God, without hope in this world. Jesus is the way back to God, the way to forgiveness, the way to relationship with God. And so I want to appeal to you, stop keeping your distance from God. Come home. Your, your Father is ready to welcome you home. How do you do that? It's as simple as talking to Him in prayer to say, sorry for keeping Him at a distance. Sorry for your sin for asking for forgiveness, to thank him for sending Jesus to, to save people who are lost, people like you and me, and then to ask him to help you to live with Jesus as your king, to follow him. Uh, if you want to know more about that or understand what does that mean, please feel free to grab me afterwards or, or get in touch with Gav and uh, have a chat with him. But secondly, if you have come home, which I, I gather is the case for, for most people here, my question is, do you share the Father's heart? See, in Jesus' third story there in, in Luke 15, it's the story of, of two sons. And there was an older son. And he didn't share his father's heart. And so when his brother came home, he didn't care about his lost brother. He was, well, he was like the religious leaders of the day who didn't care about these tax collectors and sinners that Jesus is mixing with. And, and there's a challenge to us in that. Do we share God's heart for the lost? Do we want people to be saved? If we've found God's grace towards us, how can we not want that for others also? The astounding thing is that that God not only saves us, but He actually calls us to join Him in His mission, to see others come to save, salvation too. He calls us to, to imitate Him, to, to follow Him, to be like Him. In uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, at the end of uh, a section talking about whether or not 
it's okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols and we might read that and think well gee that's got nothing to do with with us and our situation but then paul gives the the overarching principle the thing that that drives this decision and in fact drives the frame the framework of his life here's what drives paul he says 1 corinthians 10 verse 33 for i am not seeking my own good but the good of many so that they may be saved Friends, there's a great motto to live by. To not seek your own good, but seek the good of many. What is that good? It's that they be saved. Then he says, next verse, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, because that's what Christ did. Jesus set aside his own interests, his own good. He sacrificed himself to the point of death taking the, the condemnation of God that we deserve, he sought the good of many, that they will be saved. And we're to follow his example. We're disciples of Jesus, we're followers of Jesus, we're, we're to do whatever way, we, whatever we can, whether in big or small way, to seek the salvation of the lost. And so as we live in, in response to God's grace to us, we seek the lost. We follow the example of Paul as he follows the example of of Christ. How do we do that? Well, uh, 1 Corinthians 10 teaches us to, to remove stumbling blocks uh, that get in the way of people uh, becoming, becoming Christians. And so Paul would, would gladly have a meal with an unbeliever without think, worrying about whether the food's been, uh, you know, whether it's unholy for him to eat. He'd remove that stumbling block in order that people would hear of Jesus. What does that mean in our situation? How do we apply this? How do we, we live with this same self-sacrificial uh, love for others that, that seeks their salvation? Well, I think fundamentally, firstly, it means being intentional. Intentional about, about contacting and connecting with other people. Jesus was intentional with seeking out Zacchaeus. Paul was intentional in sacrificing his own interests and, and seeking the good of others. So how can we be intentional in seeking out people who don't yet know Jesus? I was super encouraged at the recent uh, movie night and, and so many people in the community uh, came along. It was, what a great opportunity to, to seek to connect with people and build a relationship such, such that we could share the gospel with them and see them come to salvation. As Christians, I'm sure that uh, we want others to become Christians. We know that's right. Uh, we know that's what's best and we want that for other people. We need to think about how that's going to happen. Uh, God can work in any way he, he chooses. He's God. Uh, he usually chooses, however, to work through people. People like us prayerfully sharing his word with others. And in order to, to be able to share his word with them, we need to have some sort of contact with them. See, once upon a time, Christians could just have a church building, open the doors, and many, many people would come in. That doesn't happen so much these days. It, it happens sometimes. And if you're here this morning because you've just come along, that's great. You're very welcome. But by and large, people don't so much come to us. We need to go to them. We need to be intentional in seeking them out. Intentional in praying for people. Uh, intentional in contacting people, in, in building connections, so that we can not just invite them to church, but actually to share God's word with them and point them to Jesus. Which means we need to, to do what Paul did, to sacrifice our own good, for the good of others that they may be saved 
I think this is a real challenge to us. It's a real challenge to me. I think so often we, we don't do this, and I'm as guilty of this as, as anyone. It's so easy to stick to our own family, our own Christian friends, and, and to not reach out and seek the lost because, well, it's, it's easier. It's more comfortable. But the compassion of God and the love of God, the example of Christ, the example of Paul, they call on us, they, they compel us to to reflect our Father's heart and to seek not our own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. So I want to ask you to think, who can you seek to contact, to connect with? Is it neighbours? Is it people at work? Is it people at you meet through school, people, maybe people on the, the fringe of our, our various church ministries. Where are the, the contact points where you can build relationships with other people, where you can be intentional in doing that? Uh, I know we can feel very time poor, uh, and all sorts of good and right things can, can crowd this out. But if it's important, we'll make time. And in amongst all that, the most important thing that we can do is to pray to pray and ask God to, to use us, to give us opportunities to, to connect with people, to pray and ask God to, to work in people's hearts, to, to open their eyes to the Lord Jesus. God is on a mission to the people of this world. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. He calls us home and He calls us to follow His example, to seek and save the lost to see them come to salvation through Jesus. So two questions, will you come home and will you follow his example? Why don't you spend some time, some time today or over the coming week, thinking about how you can go about seeking the lost and how you can do that, that more and more. Let's pray now. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your incredible compassion towards us. You are the God who seeks and saves the lost. Father, thank you for the salvation that you have given us by your grace through your Son, our Lord Jesus. Father, we pray that you would help us to share your heart for those who are lost. And to be intentional in, in seeking to build relationship to, to contact and connect with people. Father, show us how we can do that. Please work in us, please change us, please lead us and use us in your mission to see people come to know Jesus and to be saved through him. Help us to see people as you see them and help us to love people as you love them. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.